0: The Fed's going to end up having to expand its balance sheet again to proverbially print money in order to provide the extra cash for the banks to be able to meet the demand deposit withdrawal. The banks should have been sitting on that cash all along.
1: Hello there. How are you all? You're doing well. you having a good week. We are back to our regular shows after that three-part beginner's guide which dropped earlier this week. hope you enjoyed that. hope you're pinging that out to some of your no-coiner friends, getting them orange-peeled, especially with this wave of crazy shit that's been going on recently. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've finally got Caitlin Long back on the show. It's been a long time, and we're getting into all this crazy banking shit that's been going on in the last week or so. Now, we got the fallout from Silvergate, we've got the bank run on Silicon Valley, and we've got the regulator overhaul a Signature, and the bailouts. There aren't really bailouts. There was a lot to get into here. I broke the in-person rule. I said, Caitlin, I need you on the show. We need to discuss this. We need an emergency broadcast. So Caitlin absolutely crushed it. I know you're going to enjoy this. Just a couple of notes We've got the Rail Bedford end of season coming. It looks like we've got a good chance of winning the league. And in mid-April, we've got a bunch of events going on to celebrate that. We've got two matches on April the 10th and our final home game on April the 15th. We've got a Bitcoin hangout on April the 13th. We have got a WBD live event with Jeff Booth in Bedford and Ben Ark on Friday the 14th. And on Saturday, the 15th, we've also got a meetup. Hopefully, some of you can come and join us there. If you want to grab tickets, please head over to whatbitcoindid.com and click on WBD Live. Can't wait to meet some of you in person and show you what's going on with our football club. And also, if you want to get a little bit deeper on the show, our Patreon has early access to shows. It allows you to jump into the Discord, submit ideas, and we've got bonus content you can't get anywhere else. That is patreon.com forward slash Did. If you've got any questions about this or anything else, please do drop me an email. It's hello at Bitcoin did.com or jump into the discord server you can tag me Danny, or ben okay enjoy the show with caitlin i'll see you all soon caitlin hi it's been a while
0: hey it's been a while yeah yeah we met you here in wyoming you've got the uh you got the texas bull behind you there and i've got the wyoming mustang
1: yeah have you got the tattoo yet
0: no (laughs) i'm thinking about it though i swear i'm thinking about it i really do want to want to want to do it i just honestly i've been a little busy (laughs) all
1: right how about in miami you may go and get some tattoos
0: i might i'm thinking about it i want to get the uh the wyoming bucking horse on on my ankle and uh i almost remember remember when you came and visited a couple years ago and i had the sticker on it i wanted to try it out and uh i had you fooled for a little bit there that
1: that sticker
0: tattoo was
1: real <laughs> You yeah, me before i tell you what in miami if bitcoin is over thirty five thousand, we go okay. get tattoos all
0: right i gotta find somebody in miami who is good at a wyoming bucking bronco
1: but um you know what i'll do it leave that one to me okay <laughs> listen we have got a limited amount of time we're breaking our rule you know i always want to see you in person and do this yes <laughs> but every Everything's going fucking crazy, Caitlin, <laughs> and uh, you're my resident expert on the banking sector. Oh, I think uh, we had to do an emergency broadcast. What the hell Thank is you. going on?
0: Uh, well, look, uh, the, the, the banking system, as we all know, has been always inherently unstable because if everybody goes and gets their deposits back at the same time, The system is insolvent and therefore the insolvency gets revealed. It's not like there's anything new that has, that comes to the fore because the insolvency has always been there in aggregate. But the reality is that technology and information and social media allow people to move money faster than they ever have before, and as a result, a lot of banks that are tech forward should have been sitting on 100% cash to back their customers demand deposits and instead they were they got greedy and they were rolling the dice investing in long-term treasuries instead of in cash and as a result when everybody showed up to get their deposits at the same time poof
1: right let's let's work through this there's there's three specific banks we want to talk about and there are different scenarios Uh, I've got Silvergate, Silicon Valley, and Signature. I'm including Silvergate just so people listening understand that it it is a different scenario what happened with them, but we should at least explain what happened to Silvergate.
0: Yes. Well, Silvergate was the one, I, I was watching actually both Silvergate and Signature. I'm on the record that I was warning the bank regulators there was bank run risk all over the banks banking this sector. And I did it months before the, the uh, the, the, bank runs actually hit. Okay. And so, and I think this is interesting because Custodia, my bank it has a 100% reserve non-lending model. Our proposal was to, was to keep hundred percent of customers demand deposits on deposit at the fed and the fed called that unsafe and unsound. Yet what has happened is that fed regulated banks like Silvergate and Silicon Valley bank, for example, Well, they were the unsafe and unsound ones because the Fed let them do the following. And I'll quote numbers that I know off the top of my head from the March 31st, 2022 Silvergate 10Q, SEC filing. Silvergate had $13.3 billion of demand deposits that could be withdrawn in the span of literally seconds through the SEND network and through uh, API-based Fedwire transactions. 13.3 billion could be withdrawn like that. And guess what? 1.4 billion of cash on hand. So when that bank run started, it was pretty fast that the the bank unfortunately failed. Now that was a risk management decision that again, the fed as the bank regulator, let them take. There is, I think I know a bias, towards fractional reserve banking, borrowing short and lending long. And that is literally what Silvergate did. What, what else did they invest the 13.3 billion of customer deposits in less than 1.4 billion of cash that they had on hand, long-term treasury bonds and mortgage securities. They were, they were reaching for yield and they did it at the precise moment when interest rates started to rise. The Fed started raising interest rates almost exactly a year ago. And into a, an incredibly fast rate rise environment, these banks invested all, this, uh, all the new deposits that were coming in. This is exactly what happened at Silvergate and Signature, at uh, uh, Silicon Valley and Signature as well. They had a big increase in deposits and they invested in long-term treasuries. And so what happens with those long-term treasuries when interest rates rise, is the value of the long-term treasuries falls. And some of those things are trading, you know, some of the mortgages in particular, long-term mortgage-backed securities, are trading at 60, 70 cents on the dollar right now because of the big increase in interest rates. Right,
1: okay. So Silvergate themselves, you you mentioned they had like 1.4 billion in cash. Yeah. Uh, in the scenario where there's a run and people were trying to withdraw the deposits, uh, if you're holding your money with the Fed, Can you, can you just withdraw as and when you require? You don't actually have to keep it all within your bank. So that's, that's how a full, you know, if it was a full reserve bank like Custodia would work, you would constantly have access to the full liquidity of customers.
0: During bank hours. So while Fedwire is open, yes, not 24-7, 365, just to be clear. Both Silvergate and Signature offered 24-7, 365. um, debits and credits among customers of the bank. So both customers on the transactions had to be customers of the bank in order to use Sen or Signet, which were the 24-7, 365 uh, platform that allowed customers to basically just swap balances. But any money that needed to actually leave the bank has to be done during banking hours. And that, of course, would apply to custodia had we been granted a Fedmaster account yet. As well.
1: Yeah. Um, and I'm going to come back to Custodia because uh, Lynn Alden mentioned another bank on Twitter yesterday. Yeah. Which, where she's talked about them not uh, being given a banking license by the Fed because they were five years. For yeah. five years because yeah. they had a policy similar to yours of being full yes. reserve. Okay. Yes. Let, let's get into Silicon Valley Bank because this has been the big trigger. This is uh, the, the largest bank failing since 2008. Yeah. Um, what was unique about what happened with Silicon Valley Bank?
0: Well, that was an even faster bank run than crypto. So I, the, I know the White House talking points yesterday were trying to blame all this on crypto. And that is an interesting um, a, a supporting fact related to Signature. I'll come, I'll come back to Sign- Silicon Valley Bank in a moment. But Signature, Barney Frank of Dodd-Frank fame um, was a director of Signature. And he came out and made an incredible statement yesterday, which is that Signature was, they did have $10 billion of withdrawals on Friday, but they were still solvent. And the bank regulators moved in to put them in resolution, almost as though well, he said, as an anti-crypto move, okay? So I think Signature, there's something interesting happened there, and there will be an investigation, and it will, it will question the bank regulators whether they pulled the trigger too fast on Signature. But that's relevant for, for, uh, back to the question you asked, because the bank runs that were happening at two of the banks that were actively serving the crypto industry, Silvergate and Signature, happened more slowly than the bank run at Silicon Valley Bank. So the, it, the tendency, the White House talking point, to say, oh, this is all related to crypto, it's just simply not true. So back to your question, Silicon Valley Bank, in 44 hours, had essentially an, a, a 100% withdrawal of deposits demand deposits um and and in uh, in one case um it basically within the span of a few hours it looked like 25 percent of their of their de- uninsured deposits were withdrawn 45 billion okay so now let's let's step back and ask how can this happen first of all it should have been anticipated by the risk managers of the bank the management of the bank as a whole and by the bank regulators why because we now have api-based banking so Silicon Valley Bank didn't do the crypto thing. Silicon Valley Bank had APIs that allowed all of its tech forward customers to use software to direct payments into and out of those deposit accounts. Okay. APIs are very different than having to go down to the local branch, wait in line, fill out a, a form by hand, and then, you know, with, have a Fed wire um, directed to your new bank account. at at another bank. So naturally, because you have technology, the tech forward banks are going to have to be, they, they have the ability to move money so much faster. It still settles through the Fedwire system within hours, but the initial instruction that came into Silicon Valley Bank happened so much faster than the bank regulators had anticipated. They should have required tech forward banks to be sitting 100% in cash to back customer demand deposits should a event like what happened last Thursday ever occur. This is not rocket science, Peter. I cannot believe that the banks were allowed to do this borrow short, lend long strategy when everyone knew those deposits were volatile. And because you can direct the wire transfers from your phone, and do it electronically, and, and by the way, you could do it through software y- using APIs. <laughs> the whole concept of a bank run sped up. Now I will also add, it didn't happen yet, but I think the Fed dodged an even bigger bullet because Fed Now, which is the Fed's 24-7, 365 real-time gross settlement payments system, that's coming online this summer. Now, it's limited to $100,000, but now, all of a sudden, you can have a bank run at, you know, 1159 PM on a Saturday night, okay? Because people are going to be able to move money 24-7, 365 in real time. And I have not seen the bank regulators yet acknowledge that the banks are going to need more liquidity. The impact of all of this is that the Fed needs to require banks especially the tech forward banks to sit on hundred percent cash to back demand deposits, by the way, almost no banks do that. But the other impact is the fed just across the board is going to need to help to, to expand its balance sheet. I, as soon as this happened, I tweeted end of QT incoming quantitative tightening, the fed shrinking its balance sheet disproportionately hit the community banks. And these are the ones that are, that are having the problems. And the impact of all that is the Fed's going to end up having to expand its balance sheet again to proverbially print money in order to provide the extra cash for the banks to be able to meet the the demand deposit withdrawal. The banks should have been sitting on that cash all along.
1: Oh my God! There's so much to get into there. Okay, let me start with Silicon Valley Bank. So you've mentioned there that the Fed should have required them to be uh, holding 100% deposit in cash. Okay, so to make their demand deposits. Yes. Yeah, to make their demand deposits. Is there a specific different regulation that should have existed for tech-focused banks, and how would they do that? Or are you saying that all banks should be doing this? Oh,
0: all banks should be doing this. I just, I, I, I just saw an analysis of the, of all the publicly traded banks that looked at their demand deposits relative to their cash, and in this analysis, they also added available for sale securities. I wouldn't do that. Because as we've talked about before, to sell a security, you're, it's two, it takes you two days to settle the security. It, for treasuries, it takes you one day, right? So if you can have a, a, a bank run in the span of 44 hours, I don't even think you should be looking at available for sale securities as part of the liquidity portfolio. I think you should be looking at good old fashioned cash on deposit at the Fed. Okay, so the Fed's balance sheet effectively should be as big as all the demand deposits in the entire banking system. And it's not. It's a tiny fraction. Ninety five percent of the banks uh, on this analysis that I looked at yesterday hold less cash plus available for sale securities than their demand deposits, which means if everybody goes and withdraws their money at the same time, the Fed, the Fed is the backstop and it's going to have to massively expand its balance sheet to create the cash. To, to satisfy
1: the withdrawals. Yeah, I've got to hear that Signature had just over 5% of his assets in cash. Silicon Valley had 7% compared to an industry average of 13%.
0: See, but this is the thing, right? They had volatile deposits. Those that serve the crypto industry, this is what Wyoming knew, right? And you, you've made trips to Wyoming. You know yeah. whole well that Wyoming knew that digital assets move at the speed of light, okay? And so anyone who's serving this industry naturally should have been sitting 100% in cash. And the fact that they weren't is, it it blows my mind. It ultimately, the management teams and the shareholders paid the ultimate price for that because uh, they've been wiped out as they should be because they made a bad risk management decision.
1: How are these banks making money? What's going on here that's that's putting themselves at risk? Because obviously they're being greedy. And how should they be making money? Well,
0: here's the thing. Okay. So this, this, this gets into the Wyoming special purpose depository institution approach. And as Lynn Lynn Alden tweeted yesterday, the narrow bank approach as well, the, um, that is a Connecticut uninsured depository institution, very similar to the Wyoming uninsured special purpose depository institutions in the sense that they're non-lending banks. If they're not insured, they can't lend, can't take leverage. Okay. great. So they're going to sit 100% in cash, which is exactly what the business model of both was. Now, in the case of the Wyoming Speedies, they're not permitted to be what's called a narrow bank. The Wyoming Speedies cannot just literally take deposits and turn around and pay the interest on uh, that the Fed pays the bank, turn around and pay that to their depositors. That was the narrow bank's business model. So Wyoming by law, the special purpose depository institutions have to do something else. What is it that they, that they have to do? They have to provide custody services for digital assets. That's how they make their money. So ding, 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 ding. Traditional banks make money off spread. These uninsured banks make money off fees. Okay. And that is how the Wyoming special purpose depository institutions work. A lot of people ask the question when it all came out, how, how is it that custodia and Kraken Bank and the other, there are two Wyoming speedies and more on the way. Um, How is it that they would make money? The answer is they're gonna charge you fees. Okay, and a lot of folks will look at that and say, oh, I don't wanna pay fees to my bank. Well, how is it that you avoid paying fees to your bank? It's because they're taking your money and turning around and taking undue risk with it. It's the same thing with Robinhood, right? And all these retail trading platforms that don't charge you fees anymore to to trade your securities. Well, stop and think about that. If they're not charging you fees, how are they covering their costs? They've got capital requirements, they've got huge technology requirements, and they've got huge staffing requirements. So what are they doing with your stocks in order to be able to offer you free trading with no commission? They're taking risk. Okay. And you you better hope that you don't have stocks with those types of firms, because if they blow up, guess what? You're not going to get all your all your money back. I heard an incredible interview this morning with some with with a a biotech firm that had all their cash at Silicon Valley Bank and had to scramble over the weekend to borrow money from the board of directors and piece together because because they owed payroll on Monday morning and they would have been out of compliance with the law had they not paid payroll on Monday morning and they were able to do it. But here's the thing he said It was my money. I had my money sitting in a non-interest-bearing account at Silicon Valley Bank. It was the company's money. Your money in your bank account should be yours. And he's right, except that that's not the way the system works right now.
1: This show is brought to you by Fortress. Now 4% of all Bitcoin transactions on an MOM basis go through Fortress, which equates to $7.7 billion since their inception in 2017 of which $3.6 happened last year, 2022, last year alone. Now, Bitcoin is more than just a holding asset. We see large organizations already using it in their day-to-day operations. And if you want to do this, you do not need to overhaul your system. You simply need to integrate Fortress to handle all your Bitcoin treasury operations. If you want to find out more about this, please head over to Fortress.com, which is F-O-R-T-R-I-S.com. Next up, we have Gemini who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin. But I'm not selling in Bitcoin right now, are you? I hope you're not. Now, I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips, and I've also set up a DCA with twice-monthly Bitcoin buys, and I've been stacking sats all through this bear market. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy, and Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are running a special offer for listeners of What Bitcoin Did?, All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. Also today we have Wasabi, who I will now be using to make sure I keep all my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi 2.0 makes Bitcoin privacy effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join like in Wasabi 1, this is all done automatically. So all you need to do is receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can send privately. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement, something, you know, I'm always moaning on about. Now, you also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't need to leak your IP address. And there is no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there is no change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I'm taking a lot more seriously and Wasabi 2 makes this so much easier. If you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T.io. Well, I was going to say, because we've got used to free services, but, you know, imagine a scenario where you are a company like this and you're opening up an account with someone like a Signature of Silicon Valley and they say, listen, you've got two options. We can charge you to custody your money and your money is 100% protected, it's 100% reserved, or Correct. we don't charge you, and the other option is we try and invest your money, but we you know, this inherent risk with that. We, you know, this is where we're investing your money, this is the liquidity issues we might come in. You have a choice then. Correct. The problem we seem to have now is, it's something that Troy Cross tweeted out yesterday, these banks are essentially full reserve because the FDIC has backstopped the entire value. The Fed has. Well really? the Fed has, sorry. Because yeah. FDIC
0: only has $126 billion, I think, of 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 funds in its insurance fund, and it can borrow another $100 billion from the U.S. Treasury. But the unrealized losses in the banking system on these long-term bonds were $650 billion, right? So now you add up, you know, $226 billion that the FDIC has access to, that doesn't cover the entire $650 billion balance sheet hole in the aggregate U.S. banking system. So the Fed has to be the backstop. That's, that's the that's the punchline.
1: So what's the choice though? Do we move to a system whereby it's fees for custody or do we maintain this system whereby, you know, banks are investing money and taking risk? Because I'm going to draw out a quote. I read Lynn Aldens, I don't know if you've read her, a piece she put out today, I think it was this morning. Not yet. So her March 2023 uh, newsletter, I look at bank solvency, I took out a specific quote. So ironically, regulators want banks to be reasonably safe but not too safe Correct. They want all banks to be leveraged bond funds to a correct. certain degree and won't allow safer ones to exist a la Bingo. custodia
0: yes correct why? she's she's right because that's the way the system works and peter that's why the bank regulators couldn't get their hand couldn't get their arms around the concept of a bank that was literally just a money warehouse just a bank that provided custody services for your money but didn't turn around and lend it. Okay. And this is the same concept. We've talked about this before of a bailment. That's a, a, it's an old British common law concept, but we all we all interact with it all the time. It's the same concept as a uh, parking garage for your car, valet parking, and it's the same concept as a coat check. It's actually the the, the the same law. We should go back to that. That's the way banking used to be. When you park your car at a valet and the valet turns around and goes and parks it in the garage, the valet doesn't have the right to take your car and, and let an Uber driver go make money with it while it, while you're off having dinner. And then maybe they'll give you the same make and model back. Okay. Uh, That and by the way, you, they stick you with the risk of a problem with it. That is not how it should work. If you still legally own title to your car while it's parked at the garage and the garage goes bankrupt, you can go drive your car, a car away. That exact same approach should apply to money. That is what the Wyoming Special Purpose Depository Institution Charters are. But I, it was so interesting going through the Fed application process, I'm limited in what I can say. But I will say that that not everyone understood this concept. Those that understood it loved it. And, uh, and clearly the folks at the top who ultimately um, blindsided us after ma- we were making a lot of progress. I've said this publicly before. And then they blindsided us in January with this sudden U-turn and, and it was pretty clear that there was something that was a political, coordinated by the White House, but b, uh, so much bigger than just custodia. Our application was not allowed to stand on its own. We have due process rights. This is, America is a country of rule of law still, and we are pursuing those.
1: So can we just explain a little bit for people listening what actually has happened here with um, Silicon Valley, specifically in relation to the uh, zero interest rates and how they took the deposit, put them into bonds, and then with the pivot and the massive interest and interest rates, how that completely screwed these banks?
0: Yeah. So they got whipsawed, right? In some ways, it's like the retail whipsaw effect that we've all seen with supply chains, right? There was a shortage of toilet paper. And then all of a sudden, you know, the the, uh, the the toilet paper is sitting on massive pallets in the middle of the aisles of the of the grocery stores because they way overproduced and there's not that much demand for it anymore, right? It's called the whipsaw effect. Um, and that's exactly what happened to the banks because the system got over when the Fed expanded its balance sheet, a.k.a printed all the money during COVID and then, and kept, uh, you know, cut interest rates as well. So one thing that is confusing to a lot of folks, the Fed does two things to stimulate or um, retrench the economy. They move interest rates up and down and they also move their balance sheet up and down. Those are two things. And by the way, they might actually not be moving in the same direction. That's where we are right now where I suspect the Fed's going to keep raising interest rates, but they're also going to be expanding their balance sheet. So they're kind of, you know, doing two opposite uh, two, two things that have the opposite effect uh but um but long story short the whipsaw effect right you saw these huge deposits being deposited in a number of banks including silicon valley right you had a tech bubble and you also had a crypto bubble those two things were disconnected but they had the same root cause and that caused these few banks to have a huge increased huge influx in deposits and the banks got greedy. They should have just sat with that cash in their Fed master account, but they turned around and bought U.S. Treasuries. Now, the way bank capital requirements work is there's really not a a, a capital penalty for the bank to go buy 10 or 30 year U.S. Treasuries or to go buy government guaranteed mortgage backed securities, which are of course long duration um, because mortgages in the U.S. are, are typically you know 15 year plus duration. Okay. So long story short, they're, they're taking in demand deposits that could be withdrawn within the span of minutes. And they're investing in, you know, 15 year ish securities. It's pretty obvious that they're taking on interest rate risk and the bank capital requirements that apply to the community banks. Ironically, the big banks are immune to this because they are all, um, in the U S in compliance with something called Basel three, which is the, the global capital standards for global systemically important banks. But the community banks in the U S were exempt from this. Okay. So what they did was take all this unhedged interest rate risk. Now a lot of folks, if you go back to the consensus a year ago, when the Fed started raising interest rates aggressively, a lot of folks thought that this was going to be like a normal tightening cycle. Well, it wasn't. Obviously, interest rates went up faster and a lot farther than than the talking heads were predicting. And so I think the banks were essentially looking at the interest rate forecasts, including the market's forward expectation of interest rates and saying, ah, oh, this isn't going to be terrible. We can afford to take that interest rate risk. Well, they got whipsawed. It
1: seems to me there's a lot of similarities with in this uh, with what's happened here, that what happened with BlockFi and their GBTC trade. It's like sure. a duration matching issue. I know the uh, BlockFi GBTC uh, GBTC trade was like a shorter term. They had to hold them to it for six months. But it really was the same risk profile.
0: Similar, yeah. It, 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 you're, you're absolutely right. They're, ultimately, everything that happened in crypto lending is just the same thing that happens in TradFi, traditional finance. Um, it's, it's just different manifestations using different different financial products but it's the same problems and a lot of people had to learn unfortunately very tough lessons uh and and the biggest issue of course is that you know we're we're bitcoiners and um nobody's making any more than 21 million bitcoin there is no lender of last resort ergo anyone who leveraged it unfortunately had a hard lesson to learn and there's no lender of last resort no no one to bail them out in spite of sam bankman Fried's attempts to get a Washington bailout for the crypto industry. I laughed when he called for that last fall.
1: (laughs) Wasn't um, Dot Frank meant to prevent situations like this happening?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's what's so ironic. I've actually talked to Representative Frank, who was on the board, Barney Frank, who's on the board of um, of, uh Signature Bank I he he actually I think um at the time maybe about 7 or 8 years ago was on the board of the World Wildlife Foundation I don't know if he still is um wonderful man and we had a great conversation about Dodd Frank and he wanted to know um um uh no actually you know what I'm thinking about it I um uh, it was actually Chris Dodd. Never mind. Him. Um, but it, anyway, Dodd, it was Dodd of Dodd Frank. But um, mm. so I don't think I've ever met Barney Frank. I was the, um, but I, but I had a big long conversation with Chris Dodd about about um, Dodd Frank, and he wanted to know as somebody who was a financial practitioner, but also somebody who's interested in Bitcoin. This was probably 2015. Um, uh, you know what what my thoughts were, and I laid out. Look, financial regulation should be actually pretty simple. It's, it's, is the financial institution solvent? Okay. You're getting in the questions you were asking early on, you, you asked some really um, astute questions about if if there's demand deposits, uh, you know, why are the banks turning around and basically to use the analogy, a, a, a parking garage that when you park your car, they'll go off and rent it to an Uber driver and pocket all the money and stick you with all the risk. Okay, that's what your bank is doing with your money. It's like the old Bart Simpson episode that—that's a take on "It's a Wonderful Life," and Bart figures out that he can't get his money back from his bank. And there's the Jimmy Stewart—you know, it's in Joe's house, and then Bart goes and smacks Joe. It's—it's um, it's hilarious because it—it—it—it it, it, it just captures the moment, which is the moment. banks are. Or- yeah, exactly. It was
1: it was Mo. Yeah, it was Mo. Mo from the tavern who punched Joe. Okay, that's funny.
0: That, but but you get the point, right? But like, yeah, <laughs> and it's and people don't realize that's how the, that's how the system works. But if the system were, were if if bank regulations were requiring banks to hold 100 percent cash on their Fed master account for all their demand deposits, we would have a stable system, uh, much more stable than we have today. Now, some would say. Um, and this is where you were asking the question about demand deposits. There is a difference in the bank between demand deposits and time deposits. Time deposits are basically you know, CDs or savings accounts, where if you read the fine print, the bank can gate you. They can prevent you from, from withdrawing your deposits on demand. Those are not demand deposits. You have agreed to lend that money to the bank. What most people don't realize, including this biotech um, CEO who had 25 million of cash and had to scramble to make payroll on Monday over the weekend. um, His, he he didn't realize that, that he lent that $25 million to Silicon Valley Bank. That is legally how a bank deposit works. Your money is not yours. You're lending it to the bank. Now it's even, even more acute when you lend it to the bank in a time deposit where the bank can say, I, I won't give you your money back. You don't have a right to it. Um, But most of us think when we put money in a bank, it's our money. It really is not Uh, unless you have a 100% reserve bank that cannot lend. And uh, again, I, the, 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 the polarity of what happened with the Fed is telling Custodia that our business model was unsafe and unsound while they're saying that all these other banks are safe and sound. And then these other banks implode without the Fed even knowing. And and one of the most hilarious um, comments, one of the worst time comments ever by a regulator was Thursday morning when um, the, the, the Fed vice chair for supervision, Michael Barr, who by the way sits over all the bank regulators at the Fed, made a speech, an anti-crypto speech, and he said, Fed-regulated banks don't have bank runs because they're subject to prudential supervision. I'm paraphrasing, but long story short, the guy in charge, the guy supposed to be minding the store, the guy who, by the way, his group, his, his division labeled custodia's business model unsafe and unsound, he said that just as Silicon Valley's bank run was taking place. It, and and by the way he has been appointed by Jay Powell to lead the investigation into what went wrong at the Fed Elizabeth Warren came out this morning and blasted the Fed for for being the Fox that's guarding the hen house doing the investigation on their own she got it almost right though she blasted Jay Powell and said you need to recuse yourself mm. but she then said, oh, the vice chair for supervision, Barr, he should be independent and do his own work. And I just came over the top and said, he's conflicted as well. He's the one who made the statement that Fed, Fed supervised banks don't have bank runs. As the biggest bank run in, you know, 110 years was taking place. Okay. It, it, you know, who's really minding the store? Mark Cuban asked that question over the weekend. Where were the regulators? And and, and of course, the answer is what we were just talking about here. They're intuitively, they intuitive, intuitively think these leveraged fractional reserve, borrow short and lend-long business models are safe. They need to re-examine their biases because they are not safe in this day and age where information moves that quickly and banks have technology to be able to close your account from your phone in the span of the speed of light. That's, that. the world has changed. Banks need to sit on a lot more cash. The Fed's gonna have to expand its balance sheet substantially before this is all
1: over. Well, I'm going to ask you about the expansion of the balance sheet, but I do want to just raise something there with Elizabeth Warren, because you've you've brought her up. She seems in conflict with Bernie Frank in that Bernie joined a signature bank. He has, uh, I don't want to say lobbied, but essentially he's lobbied for a loosening of the regulations that he was part of creating, uh, similar to how Trump pushed for it. And we've seen Elizabeth Warren come out and blame Trump for an attempt to loosen these uh, regulations, these Dodd-Frank regulations. Um, where do you sit within this? Because I think some people like the idea of tighter regulations and stress tests on the banks to prevent these kind of bank runs. But to see Bernie Frank to come out, I wonder if he's conflicted. Now he's on the payroll or was on the payroll signature. Uh, It's a tricky one.
0: No, it it is. But so here's the thing. I'm all for far tighter regulation on the banks. It's just not the regulation that the that they're talking about. The far tighter regulation is very simple. Banks should back 100% of their demand deposits with good old-fashioned cash. That way, if they're if everybody lines up, all those demand depositors want to get their money out immediately, they can have it. That would make the system far 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 more stable. That's not the regulation they're talking about, but I'm absolutely for that regulation. Hell, I helped you know the the, the that's what Custodia bank is, right? I mean, that's the that that it's 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 an acknowledgement that money is moving faster period and banks are going to have to sit on a lot more liquidity what's that going to do it's going to make the cost of providing banking services go up for everybody people hate paying fees now we're back to what we were talking about earlier but, but the banks have high capital requirements and high technology and people costs. They're going to have to cover those costs somehow. They're going to have to charge you higher fees. But the system's going to be far more stable. I'll bet you if you explain that to most people, they would make that choice, as opposed to rolling the dice with their money.
1: This show is brought to you by Iris Energy. Now, as you've probably noticed, we have been increasingly covering Bitcoin mining on the show. And as the team at Iris Energy share mine and Danny's values, They're such a great fit for what Bitcoin did and for you, our listeners. Now, Iris Energy is the largest NASDAQ listed Bitcoin miner who has used 100% renewable energies since inception. Iris Energy targets markets with low cost, excess renewable energy, and they build and operate their own proprietary data centers. And the team is led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across infrastructure, renewables, and digital assets. In fact, Iris Energy's Nasdaq IPO was the only Bitcoin mining IPO to be led by top tier investment banks, including JP Morgan and Citi. Now, Iris Energy know that Bitcoin mining can be done sustainably, supporting the Bitcoin ecosystem as well as the energy transition. Iris Energy is the leading 100% renewable energy miner. And if you want to find out more about them, then please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co or look up their ticker IREN on NASDAQ. Next up, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino, trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but they also have fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners, and with 24-7 live chat support, you can get all the help you require. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin Casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-M-O.io. And please remember to gamble responsibly. Next up we have Leden. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Leden's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. With everything that happened last year in the lending market, Ledin demonstrated that their robust risk management strategy was the right approach, as they don't actively trade or invest in DeFi yield generation. Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24 7, Leden is there to support all your needs. To find out more, please head over to ledon.io, which is ledn.io. Also, today we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world leader in Bitcoin security and is the best way for you to own and secure your private keys. If you're still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time for you to take your security a bit more seriously because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, and Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way to start managing your private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app, and honestly, it couldn't be easier. I've been a Ledger customer since early 2017. I'm still using the same Nano S I bought then, and I've got a few more of their products. I absolutely love everything they do. Ledger also have a very new product coming. It's called Stax. It's gonna be dropping in the summer. I've already pre-ordered mine. Now, the pre-order is sold out, but there is a wait list, so go and get on that while you can. Now, if you wanna find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is shop Dot that is well, listen, it's a new lens for me this last couple of days, Caitlin, because in the UK we have something similar to the FDIC and, and our bank sure. deposits are covered up to about £80,000. I never have £80,000 in the bank. Why would you? It's melting away. You put but I never Bitcoin. do. <laughs> yeah, put it in Bitcoin, you put it in housing, you put it in gold, you put it in whatever, any anything else which we can either, yeah you know, uh, that appreciates in a value can earn you some kind of interest. But I don't have that. But in terms of my business, I do because I have yeah, of course. seven seven full-time employees and you know how cash flow works. I've always got to be three, four, five months in, in advance. Yes, sir. I've now just seen a situation where there is a run on a bank and uh, there are people, owners of businesses, who are saying, I'm not sure I can make payroll this week. Correct. That is a, a situation Stary. that could affect me. Yeah, if there you was a run on... My bank. Of I could be in a situation where I can't make payroll, and now I'm like, well, do I need to have, I don't know, ten corporate accounts, each with up yes. to eighty thousand pound in? Yes. Do I need to do that? Yes. Is that what That's I okay. need to do?
0: Yes. Yeah. So, so there are a lot of people. I'm sympathetic. Like the CEO whose interview I heard this morning, the twenty five million dollar biotech um, corporate cash sitting sitting uninsured in Silicon Valley's account, Unins- uh, 250,000 of the 25 million in his case was insured. That's it. Okay. Now here's the thing the, the whoever runs finances at that company should have been paying attention to this. I spent a lot of time with the corporate treasurers when I was working at Morgan Stanley, working with corporate treasurers, understanding the pain points of corporate treasury, the, the, you know, big companies, right? General Motors or sorry, General Electric has 10,000 bank accounts around the world. Uh, You know, they probably have a thousand people in their corporate treasury staff whose job it is to reconcile all those things, to move the cash around. But here's the thing. Those treasury analysts are also understanding the counterparty risk of their banks because they understand that only $250,000 of their bank deposit is insured. Now, one of the, the, the interesting questions is, should that CEO of the, te- of the biotech company have had his finance person analyzing the counterparty credit risk of Silicon Valley Bank? Yes. So when he said, oh, that money's mine, he, that's, the, that's the way it should be, but that's not the way it is. He should have had his finance person analyzing that. One big lesson for every business, yourself, as a small business owner, all the way up to, you know, the GEs of the world that have 10,000 accounts. Everybody needs to understand your bank, you're lending money to your bank and your bank might default on you. And you need to understand the impact of that. So what does it mean? Should you go get 10 different bank accounts? I'm not going to give advice for that in particular, but I remember back in 2008, that is exactly what, Everyone around me at, at Morgan Stanley went out and did, they ran out and opened a bunch of bank accounts and put $250,000 in each of them just to spread it around. It is, um, it's a, that is what rational people who understand this risk might do. Or the alternatively, a sweep account where, where you take up anything above the $250,000 and put it into into U.S. Treasuries. I'm sure something like that works in the U.K. as well.
1: Yeah, but so, Caitlin, if I wanted to use something like a custodia, what kind of rates would you charge to custody the money? God, it sounds like an advert. Give me an advert, show me. What, like, oh, what well, would it be? we're not mean?
0: operating. We're not operating. But if you were,
1: is it, yeah. is it something that may be like a 1% of your deposits that would no. cover your...
0: You no. Trying? no, 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 no. No, 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 no. It won't be that high. Um, so I I gotta be really careful here, but, um, but, but it's, it's, it it is, it, it, well, it also all depends, right? Because if all you're going to do is deposit your money and just have it sit there. So here's the way the math works for a bank that, that does nothing other than, so, you know, the narrow bank's business model, they would have to hold 5% capital after their first three years of operating, which they have to hold 8% capital. Okay. So you've seen the custodia propose to hold 108 cents for every dollar in our fed master account. That eight, that extra eight cents was our shareholders capital during the first three years. And in the following, um, it, uh, the, thereafter, it would be 5%. That would be the, the requirement. Okay. So, um, that that's, that's the basic business model. So the. The the customer has to basically cover the the bank's cost of capital, otherwise the bank loses money on the relationship. The other way to handle that is to say, all right, it's the way the big banks handle it, to look at the customer holistically and say, all right, if this customer is also depositing Bitcoin for custody and, and they're just using the US dollar piece as an ancillary product, that ancillary product has to cover its cost. It has to stand on its own. But this is one of the reasons why it's so important for banks not to be the narrow bank. And again, the Wyoming speedy banks cannot, by law, just take customer deposits and turn around and pay interest on them and basically be a pass through to the Fed. They have to provide other services. If you look at, at Custodia's business model, it's Bitcoin custody. If you look at Kraken's business model, Kraken Bank. They were they were going to provide debit card services they were going to provide custody services they were going to provide prime services as as Custodia uh planned to provide as well so there's there are a whole bunch of services around digital assets that diversify the product exposure now come back to the question how do these banks make money it should be pretty obvious it's the same way that bank of new york or state street or northern trust make money it's mostly on their on their services mostly in the in their cases Custody these those banks don't make money off spread they make money off fees big difference and it's a successful business model
1: But I don't need to buy custody service of bitcoin. I'm a Bitcoin. I know how to self-custody Understood. I've got my car so yeah. multi-sig, but right now if you turn around to me and said look you can take your eighty thousand You know pounds uh, insurance risk or you could pay like one percent. I would I would pay one percent of my uh, Yeah, I would happily pay for custody of my uh, pounds in my bank account for my business, knowing it was a hundred percent backed, because I cannot have the risk that I cannot make payroll.
0: Right, uh, because that's catastrophic for you, of course. Yeah. yeah, and 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 so what's interesting is that the Fed has blocked you from having that choice. Were you a U.S. company by prohibiting the Wyoming Speedy Banks from getting access to Fed master accounts? It is far from over yet. There is, we're in a big fight and uh, and uh, it's going to take some time, but uh, I didn't uh, walk into this anticipating that that fight was how this was going to end. Um, I didn't want to be here. Our board didn't want to be here. However, it's it's where the Fed has forced us, and here we are. And um, we are fighting like hell.
1: Well, why is the Fed doing this, though? Why would... <laughs> Look, I saw in the Lynn Olden article, she said the reason... That they're against this is because if you have a full reserve bank that will suck up the liquidity from the rest of the sector because everyone would put their money there
0: I don't think so and I'll tell you why yeah. because the, the because custodia our business plan was not to pay interest on deposits at all and the traditional banks can pay interest on deposits how they can afford to because they're making money on loans so they share some of that profits with the customers by paying interest and my reaction to that argument, which we heard at the Wyoming legislature before the, the charter got enacted in Wyoming back in 2018, the, my response was, if, if the banks, the traditional banks are so afraid of competition from a bank that's not going to be paying interest, then you really shouldn't be coddled by the regulation. Let competition happen. Let people choose whether the certainty of keeping a deposit in a full reserve bank is worth it to them relative to the interest rate that they could be using by lending their deposit to a bank that pays them interest. It's a simple calculation, and not everybody's going to make the same decision. Markets work.
1: Well, so is there is there a problem here that the big banks are not independent enough from the Fed?
0: Well, of course they're not independent from the Fed.
1: Not um, so independent but, enough. Should there, I mean is is that one of the issues? Should there be a line drawn between the Fed and the banks? complete independence
0: well you can't and i'll tell you why um if you go back in the history of the fed and by the way all central banks work this way not all of them but most of them um the the the, the banks themselves are owned the the the, the regional federal reserve banks are owned by the banks they're they're quasi-private entities although they do when they when they do do administrative functions um there is definitely ambiguity and the Uh, you know, they, they like to claim that they're private entities when they want to claim they're private entities. And they like to say, no, 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 we're doing government functions when it's in their interest. Right. And there's a hot potato back and forth where they pass the, they, hey, we're public. No, we're, we're really private. Okay. But ownership wise, they, it is true that they are owned by the banks. The way the fed works is there's a government agency that sits on top, the federal reserve board of governors that is subject to all the government agency requirements, and then the 12 regional federal reserve banks are legally owned by banks. They are legally owned as private institutions by their, their members, okay? So you cannot segregate the two because the shares of the regional federal reserve banks, which is where the balance sheets of the Fed are, people talk about the Fed's balance sheet. It's actually an amal- amalgamation of the 12 regional federal reserve banks balance sheets. Those the, those those entities historically were formed by private commercial banks. And then of course, um, when the Fed was formed in 1913, um, they basically created what is effectively, what became ultimately the board of governors, which is a federal agency. Um, And it was, again, this, you know, the creature from Jekyll Island, it was, you know, it was a kind of a corrupt bargain. It was more than kind of, it was a corrupt bargain back in 2013 during, ironically, the progressive era. Um, So what's interesting is you now have progressives that have in the United States um, attained positions of real power. You asked earlier about Bernie Sanders versus um, Elizabeth Warren.
1: They're both progressives. uh, Sorry, Bernie Frank's birth is Elizabeth Warren.
0: Barney Frank. Well, Barney oh, yeah. Frank was on the board of yeah. signature. Elizabeth Warren yeah. um, uh, is, is the progressive senator. Um, yeah. who The progressives really tried to, to nationalize banking back then. And I do think that there's a real push to try to nationalize banking right now. And, and we know a lot. And there's a lot, like I, I've hinted, there's a lot that's going to come out about the custodian situation that is going to stun people about exactly how much coordination and politicization of a lawful applicant to a federal agency occurred and like i said you know at this point we are fighting we something untoward happened to custodia and uh in fact i'm making a trip to washington dc because congress wants to know exactly what happened to custodia and we do have evidence and uh, i'm going to be sharing all that
1: evidence well, I'm pretty sure Cynthia Lummis will be very interested in what you're doing, and probably has your back. And uh, I would have thought there's a few other senators out there who probably have got your back in terms of this. And look, I want to know, I'm, I'm sure you'll come and tell me at the time you can tell me. Um, I'm conscious of our time, we've got nine yeah. minutes. I do want to cover two subjects so we can finish out. Very quickly, I just want to cover signature, because it seems mm. like the FDIC took over them whilst they were still solvent. So very quickly touch on that, and then let's talk about QE to infinity.
0: Well, so so Barney Frank, who's on the board of signature again, Frank of Dodd Frank, the the Wall Street um, the Wall Street uh, uh, Reform Act that happened uh, in right after the financial crisis of 2008, fifteen years ago. He uh, um, he he did tell. Uh, Both CNBC and Bloomberg yesterday I saw two different interviews quoting him as saying this was a solvent bank. Yes, there were there were big withdrawals on Friday, but this was a solvent bank. Had we opened on Monday, we would have been a going concern. That is a staggering statement. And it does. there, There have been shareholders who have come out and said something untoward happened here. Notice the theme. Um, because Custodia had the same thing happen to us, a politicization and, and it was, it, you know, it was designed as all as part of a hit, coordinated hit between the White House, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC in their case, um, and Congress on, on, on a bank that was favorable to the digital asset industry. And so this is going to be interesting because if, if the truth will be told, okay, the, the, the facts ultimately will come out. This is why an independent investigation needs to happen and Congress needs to, to, to take this on. This is why again, I, you know, when Elizabeth Warren said, uh, she didn't think the fed should be investigating its itself. She's right. Um, she, she wanted the, the, she didn't want Jay Powell to be leading the investigation. She wanted someone else at the fed. Again, I'm back saying, no, a bipartisan coalition needs to look into this. The government accountability office, the GAO in the United States needs to look into this. There were some corrupt things that happened here in the move against the digital asset industry and in particular against the digital asset banks. I've said this before, federal agencies have far outreached their statutory authority. How do you deal with that? The Government Accountability Office can look into it. Congress can look into it. Reporters can and will and are looking into it. And then of course you've got the judicial branch, which is an equal branch of government where litigation is a remedy for agency overstepping and we have seen it Uh, now what's interesting in signatures case is that it does look like the state banking authority um new york in their case stepped in before the fdic did and it's come out that the fdic was was surprised that they were handed signature bank on sunday because they didn't think that it was a bank that would have normally gone into receivership when the fdic takes over a bank they typically bring their examiners in at 5 p.m and then essentially receive the bank and have it um, frankly usually sold to a buyer by monday morning well wait a minute what happened here the fdic didn't didn't even get involved with signature until sunday afternoon that tells you something something odd happened there there are allegations that illegal things happened there and uh, there are threats to sue over it. And boy, I sure hope that, uh, that people who were wronged in that situation, if indeed that's the case, do pursue their legal remedies in the judicial system, because that is the way for, uh, for folks who, who are victims of agency overreach, overreach to have their remedy, their rights restored.
1: Okay. Wow. God, there's a lot, lot to come on that then. Okay. Let's finish on the end of QT, QE to infinity. Uh, I fear, and this is something you and I discussed back in 2019 with Safer Dean we actually yeah. talked about what was going on. You said they're running out of bullets. I fear now there is a, there is a yo-yo in towards very high inflation. Now, uh, it seems like I spoke to Lynn Alden, she said inflation is going to be the big topic of the next decade. They've tried to reduce inflation. And what we've seen is uh, a year failed. And so now we're seeing liquidity coming back, which may drive inflation again. Are we potentially yo-yoing towards hyper, well, I don't want to say hyperinflation, but very high inflation?
0: Well, look, yes, because The system stability is so low, as we just witnessed, right? I mean, last week you had Jay Powell testifying before both the House and the Senate in the United States, and he said the system is stable. And then two days later, all of a sudden, the worst bank run in the United States, right? And the guy who was minding the store, the vice chair for supervision, was saying Federal Reserve... Supervised banks don't have bank runs, as the biggest bank run in 110 years was happening. So that, I mean, those things speak for themselves, res ipso loquitur. Those things speak for themselves. So that tells you something. They didn't see it coming. And uh, and so what's the impact? I I would encourage folks who are interested in, in the historical context to go read the book When Money Dies. Uh, by Adam Ferguson. It's he's a British historian who wrote that book in the 1970s about the hyperinflation in hyperinflations in Germany and Hungary. And what you learn as you read that book is that the amplitude of the crises increases and the frequency of the crises increase as the money is dying. Okay, we know the financial system, the traditional financial system, is inherently unstable. By the way, we've known that for decades. That doesn't mean that it turns, that it, that it collapses tomorrow. It could, but that it, but it could also still go for decades. So I have now, I've been critical of the economists who have been sort of, you know, the broken clock economists that, that, you know, dollar's gonna crash, dollar's gonna crash. Um, They've been saying that since Nixon uh, closed the gold window in 1971, and they've been wrong. Um, the more interesting question is why have they been so wrong? Because I do believe they will ultimately be right. And the answer is that the U.S. has had the balance sheet to keep doing what we've, what we've been doing. We will ultimately hit a wall in which case they will be right. I just don't know when it feels like it's likely to be during our lifetimes. And so that's why, uh, you know, plan accordingly, look, Bitcoin's up 30% since this bank run started on Thursday. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, those that wanted to kill it are mad as hell that Bitcoin's up 30% in their face. But, uh, but, but needless to say, it's, um, it, 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 the, the system is fundamentally unstable and, and you and I've talked about this before Bitcoin's price is volatile, but the system is stable, very stable. The U S dollar may not be volatile, but the system inherently is unstable. And it's, it's I'll close with a Nassim Taleb, um, um, argument that basically if you constantly put out forest fires, when the conflagration finally comes, it burns the whole thing and it might burn so hot that it kills the bacteria in the soil and it'll take decades for the forest to re to reforest itself. And that's what I worry about that by by basically saying the US can't have a recession because the Fed will constantly ease into that. All we're doing is drawing down that remaining balance sheet capacity to support the additional debt that is being issued. And there will come a day when the balance sheet is the only thing that matters. And, and, you know, right now, the Keynesians and the modern monetary theorists theorists are in control of economic policy and they don't think the balance sheet matters. And uh, I think the balance sheet is the only thing that matters when it comes to that point.
1: We just don't know when it is. That's one for Paul Krugman and Stephanie Kelton. Look, Caitlin, thank you so much. I know you've got to go. Appreciate this. I will see you in Miami. We will go and get tattoos and we'll have a proper catch up. (laughs)
0: Love it. Thanks, Peter, appreciate it. Take
1: care. Bye. You too, take care. All right there, pretty crazy stuff, right? Pretty crazy week. I mean, the thing that's really stood out to me is that those people who are trying to create four reserve banks are not being allowed. I mean, it's fucking crazy stuff. You're not being allowed to create a bank which protects your money. Crazy times we live in right now. I'm just grateful we have Bitcoin as our opt-out option, but it still worries me. You know, I still think about, I've got a business to run here. What happens if there's a run on the bank that holds the cash for my business? How do I make payroll? It's not cool. It's not right. And look, we're going to keep covering this we're going to keep looking into this going to keep kind of raising awareness to other people outside of bitcoin which is by the way it's why the beginner's guide we just redid the new version is so important it's to get people to understand there are other options you don't just have to buy bitcoin going down the rabbit hole means learning about all these stupid systems anyway we're going to be covering the banking issues more we're also going to be covering this operation choke point two in the coming weeks please stay tuned for that Please do also try and come to our WBD live event in Bedford. That is with Jeff Booth and Ben Ark. That is on April the 14th with a rail Bedford game the next day. Also, if you want additional bonus content, head over to patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. Anything else, you got any questions, you can reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com and I will speak to you all soon.